Welcome to Trinity on Tap Theology, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. Victoria Lorimar. Episode 11, The God Who Rises. On the third day, he rose again. When I was baptised, I received a certificate commemorating the occasion. But the certificate had an unfortunate line break, proclaiming on such and such a day, Vicky was buried with Christ. And then only on the next line did it go on to add, and raised to life. Awkward. We spent the last few episodes on some sober topics. Suffering, death, mourning and lament. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Christ's sacrifice is nothing without resurrection, and following Christ into death means nothing without the hope of being raised also. After the horror of Good Friday and the silence of Saturday, Sunday dawns. Several women who had loved Jesus dearly went, heavy with grief, to tend his body. But instead of the corpse they expected, and remember Holbein's painting that we considered a couple episodes ago, they found an empty tomb and an angelic messenger proclaiming words that I'm sure they hardly dared to believe. He is not here, for he has been raised. Now, I'm a bit of a Lord of the Rings fangirl, so I love some of the imagery in that epic and the way that it parallels some aspects of the Christian story. Although Tolkien was very consciously not writing an allegory of the gospel, his imagination was nevertheless shaped by his Christian faith. And there are some similarities between the wizard Gandalf and Jesus. Gandalf the Grey dies a sacrificial death in the minds of Moriah, but is later resurrected as Gandalf the White. In his resurrected form, he does a number of heroic things, but I especially love what happens after he saves Sam and Frodo from the erupting Mount Doom after destroying the ring. Sam is unconscious when rescued and wakes to find Gandalf with him, Gandalf whom he saw die many months ago, and Sam spent the intervening time on a long and difficult journey. The mission accomplished, on waking, he gasps, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? When asked how he feels, Sam responds, I feel like spring after winter and sun on the leaves and like trumpets and harps and all the songs I have ever heard. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what the resurrection means for us? I can only imagine the women attending the tomb as well as the other disciples, grieving and disheartened, being filled with this same joy on Jesus' first appearance to them. Or we could turn to Tolkien's friend and fellow writer C.S. Lewis. For those of you who have read the Chronicles of Narnia, you'll remember the scene where Aslan, the Christ figure, is executed on the stone table, but returns to life. The table cracks in two, and the risen Aslan explains that death itself has started working backwards. I also love John Donne's poem for its victorious slapping down of death. Death be not proud, it begins. He talks about how death comes to all in various ways, but ends with the lines, One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. It puts me in mind of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Again, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? How many songs and poems have those words inspired, I wonder? 
The resurrection is what gives meaning to the incarnation and the cross. The resurrection vindicates the life and character of Jesus, confirming his proclamation of the kingdom of God. They had crucified him for the crime of pretending to be king. In rising from the dead, the verdict at his trial is reversed. Not only that, but this confirmation of Jesus as the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, when understood against the backdrop of the prophecies in the Hebrew Bible, places him as not merely the king of the Jews, but king of the entire world. I really like how N.T. Wright puts it. He says we cannot read the stories of the resurrection without realising that this is the great turning point when a bunch of frightened and muddled men and women stumbled despite themselves on the truth that world history had turned its greatest corner, that a new power was let loose in the world, that a door had been opened which no one could shut. This is why it's important to remember Jesus' life as well. We commemorate his birth at Christmas and his death and resurrection at Easter. What about the 33 years between these events? This is where we learn about the kingdom of God, what it means to live according to a new paradigm. A door is opened that no one can shut. We see the significance of the resurrection in the impact it has on Jesus' followers. Together with the coming of the Holy Spirit, which we'll get to, it galvanises them into action and fuels the rapid promulgation of the gospel message in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, as Acts chapter 1 puts it. Paul tells the church at Corinth, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It is the resurrection that gives meaning and power to their message. In the sacrament of communion, we don't just stop at remembering the death of Christ. After sharing in the cup and the bread, associated with the body and blood of Christ, that is the death, Most liturgies go on to proclaim joyfully the fact that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And it's the resurrection that we recapitulate in our baptism too. That's why the formatting of my baptismal certificate was so unfortunate. Peter tells of how the water of baptism saves us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In symbolically dying and entering into a new life, we mark ourselves as kingdom people and join a family whose chief purpose is to witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the kingdom he presides over. What is that kingdom of God? This is a theme that will come up again. It touches on many different aspects of our theology. It's central to questions of eschatology, matters concerning the end times, and it's bound up in what kind of redemption we're hoping for. It's also crucial for ethics because it should direct our actions, our choices, and our characters in the present. So let's hear Alistair's insights into the nature of the kingdom of God. I would describe the kingdom of God as a reassurance that God is present, even when he seems not to be. And the realisation that I have to reorientate my life, my thought my actions, in accordance with a set of values and a way of living which I did not invent, but which in effect is presented to me as the way I ought to live as an act of faithful discipleship. So for me, it is actually very important because in effect, um, the gospel is not saying be good. 
Yeah, maybe it does say that, but actually it's being a bit more specific. He's saying, um, be like this. Christ discloses what the life of the kingdom of God is like. But for me, here is the really important thing. We're not talking about, in effect, simply something that is postponed to the indefinite future. It's something which, yes, is there in its, in its totality, in its fullness in the future, but we can begin to enact and grasp it now. It begins to change us as we, as we begin to take hold of it, and it begins to take hold of us. So we gradually become better people, but we realize that full disclosure and full realization lies in the future. So if you like, it's about the partial inauguration of this in this life and realizing there's more that's yet to come. So for me, it changed us now, but there is more that's yet to come. We'll return to the kingdom of God and what it represents later on. But in the context of the resurrection, we can affirm, as is memorialized in the creed, that history changed forever on that Sunday morning. We tell stories about a few people in a particular place in time and space, first century Palestine. But these events lie at the centre of not only human history, but the entire cosmos. This, by the way, brings up another theological challenge, something called the scandal of particularity. Basically, it's to do with that very question. How can a few events in first century Palestine have eternal meaning and significance? How does this one Jewish man represent all humanity or reveal God? How does that even work? This is something that became an issue during the Enlightenment period. Gotthold Lessing, for example, was a German philosopher and playwright, and he spoke of the difference between universal truths and historical truths. Historical truths, he argued, were contingent and could not therefore be the basis for universal truths. He referred to the ugly broad ditch between the historical account of Jesus and the universal religious claims that are premised on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's not an easy question, and carried a lot of weight in a time, the Enlightenment, where evidence and objectivity and universal truths were emphasised, and things like miracles or supernatural claims were treated as suspicious. We have different challenges in today's context when it comes to knowledge and truth, for example, the difficulty of claiming anything universal from within our own limited context and experience. But one of the claims of Christianity, and we'll revisit this in a later episode when we talk about the finality of Christ, is that this person, Jesus, his life, his death, and his overcoming of death represents God's self-revelation. He discloses truths about God and about us that transcend time and history. The incarnation has meaning for all the people who lived and died before it, all of those who lived and died since, and all of those who are still to come. Metaphysically, this might be difficult to comprehend, but it is no less true because of it. Jesus is risen, which means that death no longer has the final say in the world. Is everything sad going to become untrue? Death is working backwards. This is the resurrection hope. It's not a coincidence that I've turned to literature and poetry so much in this episode. When it comes to capturing the magnificence and joy of the resurrection, art can take us further than words. 
But this joy ultimately leads us to praise. With Peter, we declare, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And how do we respond? Paul urges the Colossians, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. As we finish, have a think about what the resurrection means for you. Would you say that resurrection hope is present in your everyday life? This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.